Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. There's a lot to be said about spiritual warfare in the Christian church today, and it's time for the remnant to step up. Welcome to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. Michael Lake is my guest today. Michael is Chancellor of Biblical Life College and Seminary. He's a TV co-host, and he's the author of The Kingdom Warrior. Well, welcome, Dr. Michael Lake here to Crosspoint today, The Kingdom Warrior. Boy, we do need to be a kingdom warrior today. The Christians really do need to take their position as a warrior and stand up with what's going on. But I want to ask you right here at the first part of the book, it's chapter one, and it just starts off and says where we are now. So by what you call an honest survey, where are we at right now by the way you see things here as kingdom warriors? Well, I've seen the priesthood of darkness uh, over the last century or so really work overtime in watering uh, down our understanding of the word. Uh, in fact, uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer was almost prophetic when he wrote the book, The Coming Evangelical Disaster, uh, in that uh, we constantly compromise, we're bringing in other isms uh, that are not found in the Word of God, as well as uh, even within the field of uh, spiritual warfare, there are a lot of things that really don't line up with the Word of God that people are uh, trying to postulate as ways of doing spiritual warfare, to include doing astral projection, which is forbidden in Scripture. And so if there was ever a time for us to return back to publicity, it's now. Well, we sure are facing a lot in our nation. And you put this book together, and you talk about, you know, you put it together to help us discover our position. And you talk about the five aspects of grace in here. You hear this a lot. People use the word grace in a way sometimes to get past or excuse themselves uh, in the way of sin and stuff. So tell us what you're talking about when you talk about the five aspects of grace. You know, everybody loves to talk about the aspect or the initial aspect of grace, which is unmerited favor. Grace. And, you know, brother, that actually started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam and Eve should have been a grace spot. Uh, but yet God promised a Redeemer and extended grace to them. But as you, as you go through the Word of God and you begin looking at the application of grace, there are many different types of grace. There's saving grace. You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is we have a lot of people that we have reduced salvation down to a warm fuzzy and to a 30-second prayer at the altar instead of letting them pray through and really deal with issues. And so uh, there is a great possibility we have a lot of unregenerated Christians in the body of Christ. They were emotionally triggered by, you know, how old Yeller died or how whatever, you know, you put at the end of your sermon to, to get a response rather than the truth of the gospel. The average believer today doesn't even know what sin is, doesn't <laughs> know true. why Jesus had to go to the cross. The biblical illiteracy is staggering right now in the body of Christ. And so there's, there's the initial unmerited favor, then there's saving grace. Uh, there's transforming grace, empowering grace, uh, grace that uh, allows us to endure and all these are, are, are earmarks of our growth in Christ. Uh, you talked about, you know, using grace as a, uh, an excuse to sin. You know, part of that is our ignorance, that, you know, whenever you read the Word of God, you've got to go back to what did the first century listeners hear? Was, was Paul using uh, colloquialisms that were unique to his time period that we can look back 2,000 years later and misinterpret? One of them is, you know, under grace or under law, that that was, a, that was an idiom of the day, 
that whenever a, a Jewish person was obeying the law, and they, they didn't have sin in their life because they were trying to live righteously, uh, the Jewish community would say that they're under grace. But if they were willfully disobeying God's commandments, then they said they were under law, they were under the penalty of law because they were willfully violating it. And so when the Apostle Paul said we're under grace and not under law, he was saying that that the Spirit of God moving on the inside of us causes us to begin living the ways of God because that new nature takes hold. And in fact, one of his arguments in the book of Romans was that, listen, these Gentiles, never being taught the Torah, are living the commandments of God when you teach the Torah, Rabbi, and you can't keep it, but they can. That was a vital part of his argument for accepting the Gentiles into the nation of Israel in that day. And yet we have misconstrued that because we're not using the proper hermeneutical process of interpreting the Word of God. You mentioned that, you know, we have issues because of biblical ignorance. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Lake. We have more churches than we've ever had. What, what, so what is the problem, do you think? You know, here in the Ozarks, and you know, I'm, I've also run a seminary for years, and, and I am taken aback at the, the process of someone getting into ministry uh, that, you know, they get saved one week, they answer the call to the ministry the next week, and by the third week they're up preaching and are ordained. We see that a lot of times. And so they, they have no proper teaching and, 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 and hermeneutical process. You know, when, when I came from, before you could be ordained, you, have to, you had to finish a master divinity, that there was a process of, 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 of being a commissioned minister, then a licensed minister, then an ordained minister, once you had received both a level of academic and, and spiritual maturity. And we're, we're missing that, and as well as there's just a lot of junk that has creeped into our seminaries. Uh, one of the things that we don't realize is as far back as the, ni- as the 1930s, uh, there were communist factions that began to infiltrate our seminaries to water down the gospel and water down those the education of those that were entering into ministry. That's why, you know, the joke is you can send somebody on fire for God, send them to seminary, and it becomes a cemetery, and they end up dying spiritually before they graduate. Yeah. You say something here on page 15 of the book that I think is so crucial, uh, and it just says, as it starts here, one of the paragraphs, and it says, be well-balanced and have self-control. The balance is very, uh, has got off balance a lot. I mean, you meet people sometimes, and they are not well-balanced and definitely do not have self-control. Why is this so crucial? The enemy loves to find ways of tripping us up and, and getting us unbalanced. And, you know, part of it, I, I think that we have turned a church into an event mm. rather than a station to empower and transform. But the, the Holy Spirit, when he's working in our life, he brings balance. The Word of God brings balance. And I, I think that there's a lot of preaching today that is done by another spirit wow. that um, stirs the flesh and, and brings no conviction. And so if, if we're not careful, you know, if you're in church, and this is something that I hear all the time, you know, we've got Biblical Life TV and we have an internationally syndicated podcast, and the one thing that I hear all the time is emails from people saying, listen, I have been in church for 30 years, 40 years, but in listening to you and some others like you, I have learned more in six months than I did in 30 years in church. There's really something wrong with that statement. 
Very much so, very much so. Again, people sometimes don't know the word. Uh, we just had recently someone uh, contact us and ask us. They were in a Bible study with their pastor, and they the question was, is there inerrancies in the Word of God? And the pastor said, yes, there is. Well, this person said, I knew that was wrong, but I didn't know enough of the Bible how to argue back with them. So can you give me some scriptures and stuff that I can go back now and challenge them with? But I thought, you know, we've come to the point where we're not biblically sound sometimes enough to give a good argument. No, we're not. And, and you see that in, in the church a lot of times if, if uh, another believer will uh, you know, it used to be if you and I were, let's say, discussing, you know, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib rapture, okay? We could sit down with a cup of coffee, and we would go over the scriptures and share each other's view, uh, and, and then really kind of pray through those issues. Today, what happens is the normal response of the believer is anger. Anger because the soundbite has no depth. It's like we've trusted in soundbites instead of in-depth study, and those soundbites are, just like the Bible says, they're, they're uh, cisterns that cannot hold water. And so the average believer, instead of being able to give a reason for the hope that's within them, respond with anger. Yeah. And, you know, Spurgeon, over a century ago, uh, called all his ministers into prayer and said, I, God has shown me a time that... Uh, the body of Christ isn't going to tolerate a decent sermon of two hours or more. Yeah, when's the last time we heard a sermon for two hours? Most, most, uh, most of them are all thirty minutes now. Yeah, I'd, I'd take ninety, so I kind of break the mold. I'm still kind of old school. <laughs> well, there are a few out there that do, but uh, hey, I did notice something here. Also, you have review questions at the end of your chapters, which is good for discussion. Uh, you know, in in a in a small group or something like this, Sunday school. Uh, but I want to ask one of these questions here uh, on page twenty nine in the first end of the first chapter. It says, "How does the condition of ancient Israel in Ezekiel's day reflect into the world today's?" world, both in the church and the secular society? And that's just a good question I'd like to have answered there. How does the, how does the church reflect today? When you, when you read that, everybody was, was carnally minded. They had rejected the ways of God, the instruction of God, and they were literally devouring one another. You know, when Jesus said, you know, that if you, if you call somebody a fool, you're the you're same as, as guilty of uh, committing murder because it's character assassination. And we see that a lot right now in the body of Christ, that, uh, you know, a, a pastor has to almost be careful even with the way he leads his congregation, because if he, if he says the wrong word or has a bad day or whatever the case may be, uh, the uh, the congregation will raise up and and devour him just about. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, concerned at what I'm seeing uh, with the Barner Group, uh, just how many ministers are leaving ministry every single month. It's it's unprecedented, uh, and I think a lot of it is because you know number one we're not doing ministry right, but at the same time, uh, you have more goats in the congregation than you do sheep. Yeah, yeah. I, I discussed had a discussion with the pastor last Friday and. They was telling me, you know, these pastors, some of them got older and, and tried to retire, but they, as soon as they retire from one church, are called by another church because they don't have a pastor. And, and he was telling me, he said, we've got a terrible epidemic of not having enough pastors to fill the pulpits in our churches. And uh, it's in all denominations, too. It's not just in one, but I guess they're seeing that a lot. They are, and, you know, you, you have that uh, on one side and on the other side. 
Brother, I've had uh, men and women email me that said, I have attended every church within a 200-mile radius of my home, and I have yet to find one that actually preaches the Word of God. Yeah, that's true as well. Very, very true. Now, something else, uh, chapter 2 of the book, uh, you start off at spiritual warfare, and it says a full spectrum of understanding. Now, right here, the word spiritual warfare that's something that's rare in our churches. They, do you think churches today, many of them even understand what spiritual warfare is? No, they don't. And uh, we, we think it's an event. Um, and, brother, everything is spiritual warfare. You know, when you lead somebody to Jesus and you snatch them out of the kingdom of darkness, that's an act of warfare. To baptism is an act of warfare. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, in his book, uh, Reversing Hermann, shows that even baptism, because it not only identifies with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it deals with God's judgment on the watchers and their children out of Genesis 6 and how they were brought out of the flood. Yet out of that flood, God brought out, brought a people that was going to serve him. Everything is spiritual warfare, and, you know, we have a minister listening today. You need to understand maintaining balanced biblical doctrine is an act of spiritual warfare because the the enemy is an overdrive to water down the gospel and to keep us from returning back to the word of god and living it uh in in spirit and in truth the way that god intended for us to yeah but you i believe as a christian you need to be making statements about who christ is not who you are in christ but so much as who christ is and then let them see that from there uh we recently just had to put up a monster tower and replace our old one. But on top of it, at, at well, not on top, but at 300 feet on that, to the east and the west, there's a giant cross that glows at night on both sides. And we, I've had some of our, and we've had a lot of issues of fighting against things like spiritual warfare. But, you know, when you do that stuff and make a statement, you put the cross out uh, for people to see, and you start making a statement to the community, the devil doesn't like that. He likes us being quiet and kind of stand ourselves, and he's not going to give ministries or churches a lot of problems if they're just kind of doing a watered-down version of things, is he? No, he's not. And we need to understand the Word says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, that does not mean obnoxious, okay? Yes, exactly. That means bold that we need, we need to boldly preach the gospel in love. And when we do that and refuse to compromise, uh, how do I want to phrase this? So much of the church is trying to find its cultural significance with identifying with the culture of Babylon. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And the truth is the church is the ultimate counterculture. We are that other culture that is different than anything tainted by Babylon. And only when we're true to our new nature and the new kingdom that we're walking in do we become significant in the cultures around us and serve as salt and light in the earth. Well, folks, we're going to be back with more in just a minute, so stay with us here on Crosspoint. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. You're listening to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. My guest today is Dr. Michael Lake. Uh, we're talking about the Kingdom Warrior. Now, Dr. Lake, you've done other books besides this. You have ministry work and all that. So people want to find about about your ministry, this book, other books. How would they go about doing that? 
Our main communication hub is kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. It's also the name of our syndicated podcast. Anytime that we have anything for Biblical Life TV, do a new book uh, or uh, do a new podcast, all of it's available on that site. And we do encourage folks to go there, and you can enter your email address and, and subscribe to it. Whenever we give a new post, you're immediately notified by email. Okay, and so that's the best way to get in touch with you. Yes, sir, it is. Okay. Well, back to the book on page 57 of the book. You say there, in America, we are hampered by the historical affluence of the church. We think persecution is when somebody looks at us in a mean way or lies about us. However, present-day persecution is real, and it's worldwide, while the Luciferian elite are bringing their persecution to a new level in the Western world. Is it yet to be seen how drastic it will become in the United States? Well, I believe it's coming, and I believe people weren't, a lot of Christians aren't prepared for it. No, they're not. We have been very pampered while living in Laodicea, okay? And I think one of the reasons that everything has gotten as bad as it has is, for the most part, the church has been has fallen asleep. I mean, even the Apostle Paul in the Book of Romans had to call them that early in, in the church, calling them out of sleep while they were living in Rome. That there there is something about the Babylonian system that will lull you to sleep. And, you know, overseas... In many places, brother, it's it's illegal to be a Christian. The, I mean, there there are brothers and sisters that are being killed for the gospel, and to turn a blind eye to that, you know, even though the, the United States and the United Nations, they will stand up for any group except for Christians that are being persecuted, and this 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 is by design. And so, I believe it is going to come to America, but you know, one of the interesting things is when you read some of the Antonicene fathers. Many of them believe that the church itself would have to go through uh, even the tribulation period to be to mature and to be purified to prepare themselves for the Lord's return. We always talk about you know, we want to be a, a Book of Acts church. Well, the Book of Acts church was a church on fire, but it was also a church that was persecuted on two different sides. You had the Jewish community persecuting them, and then you had the Roman community persecuting them. But in the midst of that persecution, we saw the fire of God fall, and we saw men and women raised from the dead. We saw healings and deliverance and supernatural things that you and I would long for today. It's on the battlefield when the battle is actually raging is when you see the supernatural power of God like never before. Although I think that we have great challenges ahead of us, I think that we're going to, we're going to see Book of Acts-like things happen in our day. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, it's entitled The Kingdom Warrior, and you talk about a full-spectrum spiritual warfare, part one. So I'm assuming there's a, another part of this that's coming. Is that correct? There is. Um, it's, it's going to be called Protocols for Engagement, which uh, you deal with principalities and powers different than you deal with demons and, and, and so forth. And so I'm going to try to get the protocols all established. In fact, kind of the, the first part of this uh, I dealt with in the kingdom priesthood of understanding the power of the name of Jesus and, and living uh, in harmony with the blood of Jesus. And so that, you know, that's part of really understanding our priesthood. Uh, but it, 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 so, you know, each book kind of builds on the other. And so there, there's a second book coming. I hope to have it done at the end of uh, next year. And I'm also, uh, also writing the Shinar Directive to uh, dealing with the rise of the beast system. Uh, well, it definitely is. A system that's out there that's for sure now also in the front cover of this book uh, it made me think of the story in the bible where the 
uh, warrior got into the field of lentils and defended it against a lot of enemies. But you say biblical clearing and maintaining your spiritual perimeter. Well, I grew up on a farm. And so I understand that we had to clean off areas. And if you didn't keep that area clean, the sprouts all just came back and grew back. In fact, just across the road from us is a field uh, that's full of trees. I mean, you can't see anything in it. But at one time years ago, that was a hay field and people were baling hay in that field. But they let it grow up and everything took over. And to me, I think the very same thing here. You talk about biblically clearing and then maintaining your spiritual perimeter. I, is the reason we got all these areas is our spiritual perimeters not been kept clean? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm ex-military, and uh, you know, when when you're going through basic and they hand you an M16 and you're shooting stuff up, you get to you know throw grenades and and light, light you shoot anti uh, light anti tank weapons or law for short. Uh, it gets a lot of fun as well as you know later on they put a grenade launcher on the bottom of my M16. And I used to love to go out to the range and just blow stuff up. Okay, you know, it's, I'm, I'm an average American guy. Uh, but then uh, my first station down at Fort Sill, we actually had to set up a perimeter and, and set up camp like we were going to war. And you know what? what's drudgery is digging the foxholes, setting up the Constantine wire, and, and then having to do guard duty and all these different things. And I was getting a bit of an attitude. And I had a master sergeant, and he was also a believer, and he had you know, been through Vietnam and, and different conflicts. He came up to me, and he said, Lake, he said, listen, I know you know your weapons, and if you can see it, it's gone. But if you don't learn to establish, to clear and establish your perimeter, the enemy will breach it, and no matter how good you are at your weapons, you're going to get overrun, and you're going to get killed. And I thought, man, that's where the church is right now. We, we talk about the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the blood, but we have never set our perimeter, which is, which is your life, your home, uh, your church, that you have driven out the enemy and you have entrenched it by living the word of God and, and staying in prayer and living in harmony with the blood of Jesus that has covered us and setting up walls of protection by through obedience to God. And because we haven't, there are breaks in our hedges of protection, and then we wonder why the enemy's eating our lunch. <laughs> and so th- this is a call to to push the enemy out of our homes, return back to the things of the kingdom of God, and set up a perimeter so that we become a hardened target that the enemy cannot easily breach our lives or our homes. And this is essential when you do spiritual warfare. Because we, we, we know uh, the average believer thinks, okay, I'm going to go out in the backyard, and for a half hour I'm going to yell at the devil. Well, you know, that may have been a spiritual warfare event, but it may not. But you can't go back and go back living in sin and everything else because that demon or whatever it was has been around for a very long time. And it will wait for 10 years if it needs to to retaliate. Yeah, they're never they're ne- they're never all the way gone. You have to remember no. you've got to constantly pay attention. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Tell me about chapter five here. You say Satan is a legalist and closing generational doors. What is that about? The generational doors. Generational doors. There, there's a difference between sin and iniquity. Sin is if you simply do something. Okay, you you've you know whatever the sin may be. But there are certain things that, if the, especially if they are identified with ancient pagan worship, that you have a spirit behind it that comes in because you did that act. 
it can begin twisting your nature toward that. And, and you and I have seen people that have had generational tendencies, uh, whether for greed or for anger. I mean, there's there's a uh, there's a whole you know laundry list of things that because it there, I think it's literally been coded uh, spiritually into their DNA. And so there's also a reason why when Jesus, his blood was shed for our sin, but he was bruised for our iniquity. Well, imagine, let's say somebody's arm was, was twisted wrong, it was twisted towards sin, and you would twist it back. You would twist it straight. It would bruise it because there was a separate price paid for iniquity than sin. And those iniquities can go down, and, and it's not only a spiritual force, but you can be taught it by the attitudes and the things of a home growing up as a child. You know, I have learned that, you know, children, you know, just growing up little, they don't care the color of anybody's skin. They just want to play. That prejudice has to be taught. There's, there's iniquity that, that, that is taught, it, that, that separates us. There's only one race, the human race. Especially when you understand Genesis 6 and what's coming, there's, there's going to be non-human entities uh, that return to the battlefield that we're going to have to deal with. And so the, the human race. And, you know, we can, we can see uh, men, let's say, if there was a spirit of adultery that had attached to a family and, and the, the dad was always promiscuous, and all his sons will end up being the same way. It's broken by two things. It's broken by prayer. And we, we see the, the Nehemiah principle in Nehemiah chapter 1 when he is a righteous man, prayed, Father, forgive me the sins and the sins of my fathers. But then after he goes back and they rebuild the wall and, and all that they did and rebuilt the temple, he led all of Israel in that same prayer. Now, the, the sages of Israel will point back and say this is a watershed moment. After that, Israel as a nation never entered back into idolatry again. And that's a powerful statement. Yeah, yeah. Because that that iniquity was done, but we we need to realize that it is broken two ways by prayer and then by going back and purposely doing the word of God in that area until it becomes second nature. Because you have to begin rewriting that and begin bending your nature and your attitudes, even at a subconscious level, back to what the word of God has to say. Now, still in chapter five. And this is another good point you put put in here. You say the power of God had to had freed the is, Israel from Egyptian slavery. Not a single man or woman had to lift a sword to gain this freedom. God sent a redeemer into the midst to set it free, and God's people walked out of Egypt with payment for the years of slavery. Now that's a good point that nobody had to raise up and get in a big fight like some people want to do today. We keep looking at, oh, the politicians, you know, we get the right person elected as president. That's going to change what's going on in America and, and those type of things. If we can get this law passed or if we can stop abortion, we won't have any more of these other issues. Yeah, those things may help, but those aren't the answers, are they? No, they're not. The true answer uh, is for revival in the land. And revival, I think, when, when the church begins to return to, to return to the fear of God, that we fear Him, that, that reverential fear, that is, you know, the Bible says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that when that returns, only then will Washington, D.C., or any political government fear the church and the power of the church. Because you, then you're in a position when you're living biblically and you're living according to God's Word. John says, listen, if you've got sin in your life, he can't hear you. You're walking clean. 
heaven hears you, and because you know that you're walking clean, heaven hears you, you know that you're going to have what you ask for. Yeah. And that, 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 is what, that is what frightens hell beyond measure. It's what frightens the kingdom of darkness and, and the agents of the priesthood of darkness be, beyond anything that we can comprehend, is if we, revival would return to the church and we would begin to fear God and live in the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would absolutely decimate everything they're trying to do in the earth. Yeah. I agree. Now, before we go out of this segment, again, tell people they want to find more out about the Kingdom Warrior, uh, the other books you've written, uh, the Kingdom Priesthood, uh, and the new stuff you're working on, or just maybe even have a question for your ministry. Uh, How do they go about doing that? Yeah, Our main website is kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. And we also have a contact link that's there and then pull down menus, as well as all the podcasts we've done, all the videos that we have done, a link to our shopping cart. But I have five or six college-level courses that I have taught on spiritual warfare, how to hear the voice of God, covenant, how to walk in covenant with God, uh, leadership, and some other things. They're all in the, with MP3 lectures that you can listen to in your own home for your own spiritual enrichment. All right. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to have more of this interesting conversation right after this. A place of hope. Christian Radio is encouraging you. It's lifting you up. It's speaking positive stuff to you. It's reminding you, oh yeah, God is bigger than what you're going through. God is greater. Experience hope on 91.7 The Word. You're listening to Crosspoint. Thanks for joining us today. Talking with Dr. Michael Lake. uh, Talking about the Kingdom Warrior. And uh, Dr. Lake, still just before we get out of chapter 5 here. I found something there on page 105. It says, and you talk about footholds, and then you actually talk about a stronghold. And I want you to, here's what you say, and I want you to kind of give us a a look into this concept. You say a foothold serves as an entry point or a base camp to set up an operation for an invasion. A stronghold is an entirely different situation. A stronghold is a fort of fortress. There are residents who dwell in fortified areas, and the enemy has constructed within our souls. So... Sometimes the enemy has got such a stronghold, it takes a different type of kingdom war, warrior, a different type of kingdom warrior or warfare uh, to deal with something that's a stronghold over a foothold. Well, absolutely. You know, a foothold is you just, you know, you get a foot in that you can begin influencing. But when you have a stronghold, and, you know, I've heard Christians, you know, quote Second Corinthians 2.10, you know, that uh, we're powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But I, I've actually stopped and asked them, what is a stronghold? And you just see this big question mark on them. It's 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 you know it's like the the uh, Calvary that used to have forts uh, as we were expanding you know going toward the west, and the soldiers lived there. And whenever we have a a stronghold in our lives, and the enemy created a wound or whatever, something, and, and he fights dirty. He likes to do it when we're kids, and it allows that demonic influence. They take residence there. And they'll begin to talk to you. And one of the things I have found, especially with a stronghold, is they want you to think that how you're feeling or how you're thinking are, are your thoughts and your feelings rather than theirs. That That's part of the warfare. And that's why the Apostle Paul says we have to bring every thought, every attitude, every emotion, and to subject it to Christ. And in doing so, and, and you know, a lot of times... Uh, I've had people that, let's say that uh, they were, you know, sexually abused as a little kid, which is absolutely horrible. 
And the first thing you have to address is the guilt because the enemy will tell them that it was their fault. No, it wasn't. It wasn't their fault. It was the person who did its fault. And you begin to work through these issues. And as you do, you begin pulling down that stronghold. And as you do, you begin casting out that demonic presence, saying, I reject you and I I, I choose to believe the Word of God. And sometimes it's a process of, of clearing that out. And what God's calling us to do is not only to clear it out, but to tear it down and build a fortified area of God's truth in the place that that thing once resided in our lives. I know that you believe, as I do, that we're coming to a showdown in the area of being a Christian and being in America and and what all the spiritual warfare that is going on. But the stakes, uh, do you believe, are being raised for like a final conflict that we're getting ready to see before too long, maybe? I do. I I think it's already going on in other places of the world. Uh, You know, I I hear constantly from uh, our friends in Canada that I mean, it's 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 an act of spiritual warfare just to preach the gospel anymore in that nation. Uh, you'll have the nation come down like a, a ton of bricks on you, and so we we are going to see that. But the the hope that I have, that we we have when we look historically in the body of Christ, is in times of great persecution. And not only do we see miracles and deliverance and all this, it's also the times of great revival that uh, one of the, the consternations of, of both the early Jewish community and as well as the Roman community is that the harder you persecuted the church, the harder stance that they took. And people said, that's something that I can really believe in because they're willing to lay down their lives for it. They're willing to, to confront the power uh, that's in society today. And they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a time, brother, that, uh, that when we come into a town, they're going to say, oh, no, they've come to town, these that have turned the world upside down. I think we're going to have a great conflict. It's not going to be, you know, unicorns and glitter and rainbows in the days ahead, that there is going to be a great conflict. But at the same time, I think we're getting ready to see the greatest revival in the midst of that conflict than we have ever seen. There are more people alive today on planet Earth than have been saved in the last 2,000 years. Imagine the harvest that we get to see coming into the kingdom. I know you talk about the remnant, and God always has a remnant. But you believe it's time now for that remnant to really not just fight, but learn how to fight, uh, because we are coming close to the last days. And so this book, The Kingdom Warrior, could you say it maybe as a help us as a training manual, along with the Bible, of course. The Bible's always our number one source to help us uh, know how to fight these battles. Oh, absolutely. And I think the remnant we actually see in the book of Daniel, it says, you know, when the Antichrist is kind of at his zenith and he's doing great exploits, there'll be those that know their God and they will do great exploits. And it's actually the same Hebrew word for the false signs and wonders that the uh, the Antichrist is doing. So that, you know, he's doing these ones, and, and uh, a false sign or wonder doesn't mean that it's faked. It just means it points not toward God, but to something else. That at the same time, there are these men and women that are moving in the power of God, and they're, they're still balanced, if you will. That they're, they're kind of like God's Navy SEALs that are going to hold the line. Uh, I think that the, the harpazo with the church is not to get us out of here uh, before our heads get beaten in. Instead, it's you have grown as far as you can grow. That I that, that Christ is manifesting in you like no other generation. 
And since there's nothing more that you can attain, there's nothing more that you can do, come up and be with me and watch me take care of the enemy and set things straight. The Bible does say he's coming for a victorious church, did he not? He did. And a church without spot and a wrinkle, that means they know what sin is, and they know how to live in grace. And they know how to stay, uh, how to maintain themselves untainted by the, the, the false doctrines of Mystery Babylon. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Now, your background uh, talked about being in the military. So you know what a WMD, you know, weapon of mass destruction that uh, can be out there. But does not the church have a arsenal actually at their disposal? Uh, the Christian believer, uh, maybe even an unexpected weapons they don't even know they have, uh, spiritual weapons that they can fight with that will really destroy uh, just like a weapon of mass destruction, but be in a spiritual sense to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, absolutely. And one of them is really unexpected. It's called repentance. Yeah. That it absolutely decimates the enemy. You know, brother, there's a reason why they're trying to deal to say there's no such thing as sin. If there's no such thing as sin, there's no need for repentance. Because the enemy fears, and, it, you know, there's, you know, let's say, uh, you were trying to minister to somebody, and they were in a situation that you had never been in, and you can't really quite a, you know, wrap your head around it, and so you have a hard time identifying with what they're going through. The enemy cannot repent. He never sees it coming. He will push you and push you and push you until he thinks he absolutely has absolute control of your life. And then out of nowhere, the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, and you start repenting, and, and in that moment... You may have destroyed 30 years' worth of work that yeah. he did to bring you to that spot. And then, there, then it's, it's like at that moment, the, the old you that was under that dies, and you begin to receive that resurrection power. And you come out of that, and you become his worst nightmare. Yeah. You know, I, I like using the analogy that you do with you having your military background, and you use it in this book to try to help us to understand warfare. You know, the, the enemy has a different protocol uh, for how they engage in a fight, uh, you know, and you talked about that, and you know that you have sometimes just soldiers, sometimes you have scouts, you know, that go out in front, your, your point men that go out and check and ahead, and then you've got people that work on the heavy artillery side uh, and stuff. The very same thing happens with the devil. He's got his different ones that have different duties, uh, some to cause some just pestering problems and others to cause real major problems. And if we don't fight, usually it's the little ones we have to fight first. If we don't fight them, the big ones come. Oh, that's right. And, and sometimes they come in uh, unexpected ways. I mean, when I transitioned from being stateside to being over in Würzburg, Germany with the 3rd Infantry Division, we had to go through a class on how to identify covert operators. And, you know, they, they, did, they won't attack you. They will seduce you. Okay. They will try to turn you into an asset for their side. Uh, in fact, you know, when I first got over there, there was a, a young man that uh, was getting uh, court-martialed because the girlfriend that uh, he was with actually was an East German operative that was able to get classified information from him. And the moment they went to get her, she was gone and back in East Germany because we were disliked by air. We were like 20 minutes away from the, uh, the East Germany. And so we had to be constantly on the guard for those that would try to weasel their way into our lives uh, to, to seduce. And, and there, there have been reports by the occult 
You know, if you don't know how to put on the helmet of salvation when you're preaching, the Holy Spirit speaks to you within. You, you don't kind of reach up into the, you know, into the atmosphere to try to get revelation or whatever, because there can be a witch or warlock in that congregation that is psychically projecting to you. And if they can, they'll, they'll get you to where you no longer listen to the Holy Spirit, you're listening to them. And of course, you will get a fleshly uh, response from your congregation, and they'll, they'll you know, it's like the offering's bigger and more people are coming or whatever. And they end up eventually recruiting those ministers into their covens, and there have been many, many reports of that. And we, we don't know, you know, if the enemy can't get you by direct confrontation, he'll get you by seduction. Yeah, and that's why we need to be constantly on guard and to not be ignorant of the devices that he uses. Yeah, well, we've seen it in some major ministries where we've lost some major uh, pastors, influencers in that area that uh, were under the wrong influence and eventually, uh, you know, fell from that. Now, in the book again, page one sixty, this I think is a good area talking about spiritual obedience and really how growth is essential. You say maintain the fire of God in your life. It is the task of the kingdom priesthood to seek the fire of God and maintain it. It is the task of the kingdom warrior to faithfully carry that fire into the world. Uh, Very good words uh, there, but it really comes from our obedience and uh, the growth that we have, so we do have some fire to share, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's a reason why I write my books the way I do, like the kingdom priesthood, until you get your priesthood right, you can't get the warrior right. And we've not even been taught our kingdom priesthood. It's in, the, it's in the priesthood that we learn how to deal with the fire of God. And the first thing the fire of God is supposed to do in your life is to burn out the chaff and the sin in your life on the brazen altar. And there's just this whole process of going from the outer court, inner court, to the holy of holies. And when you get to the holy of holies and you completely surrender to the majesty of the king, can you come forth as a warrior now filled with the fire of God? And the fire of God is not necessarily being emotional, although, you know, you can get emotional when the fire of God comes. There is a sternness. And, uh, you know, I want, I want the devil, when he looks at me, uh, that he sees Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, when the Apostle John looked in the face of Jesus, he said his eyes were like a flame of fire. You know, if the enemy sees that in your life, that if he sees the fire of God within, because you have been faithful, only God can give that fire. But we're the ones that are required to maintain it. Yeah. And when we get to that place, the enemy knows that he's coming against the champion in the kingdom of God, and that Jesus is in control of that warrior. Yeah. And that that is so vital in, in the kingdom. The enemy doesn't care if you are if you get excited about something. Because, you know, we can be excited about something Sunday morning and forget it by Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Okay. But it's the things that have been built in your life that you're now living life and responding to life by kingdom principle and by the Holy Spirit moving on the inside of you that makes you a hard target. And when you're in that, when you're in that mode, brother, sometimes it can just simply take a word to change the atmosphere or to bring deliverance or to bring healing. And... That's, that's the true purpose of a spiritual warrior. Yeah. The last chapter is chapter 10 uh, here in your book. And you talk about it. It's the name of it's the fear of the Lord. The first statement you make there is the fear of the Lord seems to be a lost concept for the modern church. Now, usually, you know, in books that I've interviewed before, a, a title, a 
chapter like this is usually somewhere else in the book, not at the end of the book. So at the end of the book, you're wanting to remind us this is probably one of the key things, the fear of the Lord, and you don't want us to forget it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I think it is a a key component. Uh, You know, one of the things that was drilled into me when I was in the military is respect your chain of command. Okay. You know, a private is not going to bark at a general. You know, if you do, you're going to find yourself probably in Antarctica or something if you're not careful. But there's there's this respect for the chain of command. And we have not only lost the, the fear of God, we have lost the fear of, of for spiritual authority. That we, we think that the church is a democracy, it's not, it's a theocracy. And that, you know, if you, if you have a church that votes on issues and stuff... The church has gravitated to where everybody is voting for what they want, but how many of them have sought the face of God to find out what he wants? Because one day we're going to be held accountable for all these things that we do. And if, if we're not seeking God in every situation, then we're, we're failing to fill our position in the kingdom of God. And we begin letting the flesh and, and carnal desires to take over. I'm old enough to remember when the you know the old Hosanna songs used to come out, and it was simply Scripture set to music. Yeah. And this one woman didn't like it so much that she got up and said, Thus saith the Lord, singeth the old songs to me, saith the Lord. Not realizing that they were singing from the Psalms. That wasn't from God. That was, that was her flesh, because she wanted to sing out of the hymnal rather than out of the book of Psalms. And it is so easy for that to get convoluted in and begin to mess up what God's doing. But if we have the fear of God... And God says, I want you to move into, into this new area. I want you to, to, to do these things. As, as my church, I want you to change your focus because that's the direction that God is, is moving. Then in reverent fear, we're obedient. And, you know, I, I think some of the greatest things that God has accomplished through me in ministry, and now this, this is kind of my confession, I didn't want to do. Yeah. That, that there had to be a process of crucifying the flesh and being obedient to God. Because in that process, not only was he wanting me to go that direction, he had a work that he was going to do in me to prepare me for what he wanted in, in the days ahead. And so, you know, God can accomplish a lot of things by changing your direction to see, I'm going to test you to see if you're obedient to me when it's inconvenient. Oh. And those are also times of promotion in the kingdom. Yeah. Well, Dr. Michael Lake, tell us again how we can find out more about the Kingdom Warrior and other works that you've done in your ministry. Yeah, KingdomIntelligenceBriefing.com, and if that's, you know, that's longer than mayonnaise, so you can also type in DrMichaelLake.com, and it will take you to the same site. And we post there every week. Uh, we do a weekly podcast. We do a biweekly uh, television program, Biblical Life TV. And I've also got some articles and stuff I'm working I'm going to be posting. Plus, we have all of our books and our studies there that you can have access to as well. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time to be with us on Crosspoint today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Good interview today we had there with Dr. Michael Lake. And I appreciate people that have that insight to want to be a kingdom warrior and to get in there and fight because we are in a fight. You know, everything you talked about in this book comes from the other book. In my other hand here, the Holy Bible, the Word of God. That's where all this stuff centers around from, and it's the very essence of life. If you follow the pages of the Bible and words that are written on it, they're not outdated. 
They will accurately direct your life if you'll follow it. The Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week and allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Never miss your favorite show again. For more than 30 years, KNEO has been bringing you great Bible teachers on a local and national level. And now, we've made it easier than ever to hear from these great men and women of God. KNEO's entire lineup is now available to listen anytime, anywhere through our website. Go to KNEO.org slash podcast to see all the options. You can search for programs alphabetically, or you can select individual categories like culture, kids, leadership, or music. We even have a category just for locally produced programs, so you can hear from pastors and spiritual leaders located right here in the four-state area. And... All these resources are absolutely free. Kaneo's mission is to get God's Word in front of you, and this is one of the ways we do it. Give it a try today. Go to kaneo.org and click on the podcast tab to get started.